Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 11 of the Movement Docs Podcast. Today is a very special episode. We've got uh, two of our good buddies, Sam and Jason, coming back for uh, round two of of their appearances on the show, but also the first episode of our research series. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for for those of you that may not have, have listened to the previous episodes, Sam hails from the great white north of Canada. He's a fellow DPT candidate who comes from a heavy background of sports performance and heavy lifting. And this dude can lift. I've seen some of his meat videos. Uh, he focuses on combining our current knowledge in all things related to rehab or sports performance in a more readily digestible format for clinicians, fellow students, and the general population. Beyond that, he likes long walks on the beach, playing with puppies, and giving back to the homeless. Welcome aboard, Sam. Hello. And then we've got Jason, a DPT student who recently finished his didactic coursework at Quinnipiac University in North Haven, Connecticut. Congrats on that, buddy. Jason comes from a background in group fitness and exercise and has recently started CrossFit to see what all the hype is about. Outside of PT school, Jason loves spending time with his friends and family and watching his favorite football team, the New England Patriots. In Bill, he trusts. Go Pats. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming back on, guys. Uh, Thanks for having us again. Great to be here. So, uh, Mike, what are we talking about today with uh, Jason and Sam? Yeah, I mean, so you you touched on it uh, briefly in the introductions here. Everything today is about research. So we're going to explore different concepts of research, really kind of identify what research is, why we should be reading it, choosing quality articles, trying to figure out uh, good articles from bad ones, and then breaking down articles too. So kind of getting into the minds of both Sam and Jason and how they analyze research. From there, we'll take a look at different resources and references and further information for anybody that's interested in uh, exploring research and, and learning more. Awesome. Should be a lot of fun. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, especially, especially for those of us like myself who uh, tend to avoid research uh, more often than not. So uh, <laughs> Sam and Jason, thank you guys again for coming out on the show today. Uh, so let's just start off with, uh, why should we read research? Sam, why don't you, why don't you start? Just because we don't have video feed and I don't know who's, <laughs> who's going to talk. We'll just switch back and forth. Yeah, well, I think a great way to consider it is just like the Oregon Trail, there are many paths to the destination. <laughs> so, <laughs> in theory... You know, research provides us this opportunity to help learn knowledge. It's a step in the disconfirmation process that we use in the scientific method. So it's a way that we can help separate knowledge from belief. It's not a perfect process, but it's a part of the process. All right, Jason, I'm going to punt this over to you. (laughs) Why, Why should we read research? 
Uh, that's a good question, kind of a loaded question. Um, but I think, you know, research is super important because it kind of allows us to really question what we think we know, which ultimately allows us to provide the best possible care that we can provide for our patients as physical therapists and as future physical therapists, I should say. Um, because at the end of the day, reading the research is, it's not about us. It's about what we're going to be able to do for our patients. And just mm -hmm. just in my short, short time, um, kind of on like social media and everything, I feel like that method or that idea kind of gets lost a little bit where everyone likes to argue about like X, Y, and Z and whatever. Um, I think we always just got to keep in mind what the, what the real end goal is for it and really keep in mind the patients and that we're trying to better them. And that's what we should always keep in mind. Hmm. <laughs> I, I like that notion. I like that uh, <clears throat> you're kind of relating it back to our patients, because I feel like I feel like a lot of times the research articles that we read sometimes don't necessarily seem to apply to like the patient that's in front of us. But when we look at the maybe the larger um, body of literature that's out there, or more than one article, or maybe get get some sort of conclusion that we can we can apply to our patient. By like extrapolation and, and inferences and stuff like that. Although some of those words I said probably aren't exactly correct and <laughs> lead down a slippery slope, but uh, that's all right. But it is actually a great point though, because like that's that's generally how it has to start. Until that the information is there specifically for your exact patient, which is likely not going to happen anytime soon, you have to do some inference of whatever we have available to mm -hmm. us. It's just, do you choose to look at the whole body of evidence, as you said there? Or do you choose to look at one article that favors your opinion? <laughs> so what you're telling me is that when, <laughs> when I used to do first year of PT school, when I would just like quickly, or the first month of clinical athlete, where I would just quickly, <laughs> quickly go on PubMed and go, oh yeah, this thing looks, looks like it supports exactly what I want to say. I'm just going to cite this. So yeah. <laughs> And You're saying that that's not we'll the best idea? Oh my goodness. <laughs> we'll definitely be talking more about that yeah, later. That, yeah, Jake, that was spot on. The first clinical <laughs> athlete. Oh my goodness. I hope any student that has been on clinical athlete hears that because they're all going to relate to it. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I know when Sam was on before, we talked a little bit about biases, and that would be what? Confirmation bias? <laughs> Just exactly. trying, trying to find something that confirms what you already believe mm -hmm. versus trying to almost like disprove yourself and, and maybe realize that you are wrong. Mm -hmm. Because I know yeah. I know a lot of times if we already have these beliefs that we just want to hold on to them, right? And when somebody confronts us with like contrary evidence, we tend to kind of dig our heels in the ground and just say, no, go away. You're wrong. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, because we don't want to change. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the hard part, and that's where like the scientific method, when done properly, comes in. Because like in, in theory, when it's done properly, like a research paper or like most research, is supposed to be done in the opposite format. They're supposed to go and try to disprove what they want it to say. It's it's, it's about finding the support for the null hypothesis, the thing that's opposite of what you want. Unfortunately, that's just not how a lot of physical therapy research has been done. Yeah, I can see how that might be a little problematic. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, you're cherry picking uh, certain articles that you want, or like you said, you have these biases uh, of things that you want to see in the research. And so you'll find things or you'll research a certain way. Um, so I like what you said, how that scientific method is a way to, to kind of find the opposite of what you're, what you're searching for as a way to eliminate some of those biases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Jake, if I could, I, I kind of want to go back to a point that you just made really quick or a couple seconds ago where you kind of said, um, you know, at first you're kind of, you're, you're looking for that piece of evidence or something that's going to kind of support your stance or whatever. And I think uh, like a huge, huge advantage we have as students to just like, to just be aware of this early on is it allows you to go into a conversation about evidence and discussing evidence like more open-minded mm -hmm. and more willing to be like, oh, yeah, that's, oh, wow, I was so wrong or, oh, I was right or that piece, of, I didn't know that existed or whatever instead of, you know, kind of going down whatever rabbit hole you might go down for 10 or 15 or 20 years to then be confronted with something like that. And then at that point, you're going to be like, holy F, what, like what? And then you kind of like go into defense mode. And I feel like that's where it gets awkward. And I'm sure we've all kind of had experiences in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if only they had a peer-reviewed evidence when I was playing the Oregon Trail. <laughs> and I, I, I knew to not only take just grandfather clocks. Mm. Um, yeah, take an important lesson. <laughs> I mean, they float, so it's it you know it helps out when you're trying to ford the rivers, but it doesn't really doesn't help feed uh, feed Mary who's dying of. Um, no, exactly. Disappearing. It takes up space of what kind of meat you can carry. Yeah. I do vaguely because think so. we. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was going to make a really bad Asian joke. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, I was going to say I vaguely remember this game. Like I remember being in third grade, like sneaking onto the computers, playing it in class. But I, I I'm struggling to remember all the details of it. <laughs> dysentery. They, I just <laughs> dying of dysentery, fording a river, uh, just failing because it was like it was so impossible to ever make it to Oregon. Um, I actually got for uh, for my grad uh, graduation in August. I got the car gate of the Oregon Ooh. Trail. That exists. Wow. Yeah, I have yet to play it. But uh, I feel like at a CSM in the future, oh a clinical athlete course. That sounds incredible. Like board game break. <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, um, good Lord. So, so kind of going back to research, um, what you guys, what we were just kind of talking about, that the whole concept of like challenging what you know and trying to move away from like clinging on to, you know, beliefs that maybe – you've created this confirmation bias and you're kind of like really digging your heels in about, um, it goes back to a, another pop culture reference that Mike and I talked about a while back. And that's how we all need to be like Jon Snow mm -hmm. and know nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that especially starting out and talking about research, I think we need to get to that point where we go in with an open mind and just kind of take it for what it is. And I don't know, one method I always used when I was, going through and reading articles was just trying to find ways to disprove what my own beliefs are and just constantly trying to go, all right, let's see what this says. And this is what I think, but you know, prove me wrong. What are your, what are, what are your thoughts? How do you, when you like read a research article, what do, what's going through your mind when you, when you first approach it? Uh, so I guess I've got a rebuttal question. 
Are you asking in reference to how do I go about the article or what do I have in consideration before I even read it? Let's go both. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I guess in regards to what do I have in my head before I even read it, generally it's going to be related to the reason that I'm choosing to read that article. If I'm, you know, going to the article to specifically answer some sort of question I have, like if I'm, you know, basically doing some form of confirmation bias, like trying to find information relative to a topic that I'm unsure on and I'm trying to either support my opinion or just learn more about it, I'm, I'm relatively open-minded in that. And then I'm going to say that I don't really have too much I'm specifically looking for unless I'm maybe in an argument with someone I'm trying to find specific details to support my own stance, which, you know, I'm just like everyone else. I'm going to do that. Um, <laughs> whereas when I'm doing a better job of it, like uh, if I sit down and I write an article, I will try to find, I will sit down and try to find stances that challenge myself so that I'm prepared to know both sides of the argument and have the best stance possible. So I guess it, it kind of depends on the situation. And I don't know if we want to get into right now about how we appraise articles. So I think I'll let Jason go on that point. Um, yeah. So I would say kind of, so when I, I'll go back to the first question, like when I start reading an article, I kind of, and it's obviously easier said than done, but I kind of just try to look at it from, I try to clear my head. I'm like, all right, I'm not trying to prove myself wrong or right, or I'm not trying to prove somebody else wrong or right. I'm, I look at the article and I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this? So I kind of just take it, I kind of mm-hmm. take it at face value. Um, and then from there, you then have to say, okay, well, this is other research that I've read, or these are other stances, or this is my current stance, and this is how it might impact X, Y, or Z. Uh, but for me, I try to just approach everything and say, okay, this is information, and I'm going to take the information and try to understand it as best I can. That's, that's great. Actually, I really like that. Um, it even goes back to what Jake was saying too about like we know nothing. Uh, what can I learn from this? Uh, that's that's a great perspective to have. Um, and it's even if you have like you just different biases, if you go in and say I'm going to learn from this or this is something different, um, and having that open mind is a great way. Or it seems like a great way to um, protect yourself a little bit from that. And and saying no, this information is dumb or there's you know this is against my belief system, so I'm not going to learn anything from this. If you go in with the the mind of set of saying this is new information for me, I might be able to apply this in one way or another to, to help my patient. That's that's pretty valuable. Yeah, because because something that I could like, well, and I'm sure some of you guys could relate to this in some capacity, but any type of article. I'm going to use the phrase therapeutic exercise um, because I know that one gets thrown around around a lot and I don't really know what therapeutic exercise means. Um, So anytime I read an article that's therapeutic exercise or maybe it's some type of manual intervention or like X, Y, or Z, I could easily just, I I don't know specifically like what bias or what, whatever this could be, but I could say, well, they didn't, they didn't compare this to a thorough strength training program that was well-rounded in the variables or in the, parameters were defined and X, Y, and Z. So therefore I I shouldn't even read it because I don't even have something to compare it to. And I think that's just not a good, you know, because you could dismiss so many articles that somebody might say, Hey, read this. There might be something good in this or, or whatever. So that's just, that's why I really try to keep an open mind and say, okay, this is the information and what can I do with it? Mm -hmm. So that's a good point. I feel like that happens a lot, though, in, in just the the literature base that's out there is you get a lot of those articles that 
it's kind of just buzzwords. You don't really know what it means, mm -hmm. and maybe it's not established. There is no consensus definition of something like therapeutic exercise. Uh, it's just kind of like this nebulous term that we've all accepted, and we kind of have our own um, like preconceived notions of what it's supposed to mean. Um, but it's not necessarily like well defined in the mm -hmm. literature. I know we've had discussions about like mo mobility <laughs> and stability. Yeah. Um, those those often get brought up because what is it? We talk about it all the time as like something that we need to get, or you know maybe we need more of more of it. But mm -hmm. nobody really knows yeah. what it is. I've got a good story based off of that like comment about Therex. I uh, so. Trying to be like a, a cheeky dick, I'll say. <laughs> I posted a comment on like on Facebook about like what is neuroreeducation? Like it, I think like it's kind of a a BS term, sort of like that, in how people throw it around and they'll put it under all these different categories. And people went back and forth on my post, like arguing about the semantics of like what it exactly is, and it was very interesting to see different insight. And then, do you guys know who Scott Morrison is? No, no. So he's a uh, he works out of Eric Mara's clinic in the Portland area. Uh, Eric Mara, who is like a, a part of the SPTS, mm -hmm. and also runs PT Inquest. And then uh, both guys incredibly intelligent. And Scott messaged me, and he gave me a breakdown on what each of those is actually like defined as. And up until that point, like I was so against like how these are generally ca uh, categorized, but his definition of each of them made so much sense that I've like now shut down my own account. I've basically just reversed my own opinion on it. So if you guys want to hear it, I'll tell you what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd love, love to, to hear it as well. So as far as like, this is in relation to billing obviously, but he said, neuromuscular re-ed is used when your goal is to work on things pertaining to a skill set. Whereas Therax is for when you're trying to bring about an adaptation in biomotor abilities. And Theractivities is when you're trying to work on some sort of functional ability. And obviously, like he stated, that's a relative term, but nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And he gave an example of you could work with someone for however long and do nothing but squatting. But depending upon the purpose behind the squat, you could build under different things. Like if you're teaching the person how to do a squat, as a skill set, you would build under NeuroRead. But if you're doing it to help transfer over to their daily life, like getting up out of a chair, you can build under Theract. In contrast, if you're doing it to build leg strength, then you can build under Therax. Oh, wow. I don't know about you guys, but I never had it like explain that simply to me, mm -hmm. and that made perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like... I can say it's... Same. It's definitely not taught like that in school. No. no. Sam, can you give me the definition of the Therax one one more time? Just because I, I think I, I mixed up the last two. Sure. So Therax is for when you're trying to bring about an adaptation in biomotor abilities. So things like strength, power, speed, endurance. Whereas Theractivities is when you're trying to work on functional abilities. So like uh, getting up off of a chair or even things that relate to sports. That's like that's so great because it's so simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I love that it's it's one. I guess not, I can't say activity because that's but it's it's one movement, right? So you're doing a squat, but based on what the purpose is, you can change the billing or it changes the definition. So mm -hmm. that's really cool. Wow, yeah, that is cool. 
mind explosion. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still we're processing. All, I, don't know if you, Mic drop. I don't know if you heard Sam, but we were all speechless. <laughs> well, I wish I could take credit for it, but I gotta, you gotta give that shout out to Scott Morrison. He's an incredibly smart guy. You guys should all follow uh, him. I'm going to after that. Scott, I don't know if you heard us, but we were all speechless. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, so we've talked a little bit about. We'll bring this back to. Uh, we've talked a little bit about research, and we've defined it a little bit, and we know that it's important um, for somebody who's interested in getting starting to read research. Like, what's the best way, in you guys' opinion, to get their feet wet? Uh, let's go with you first, Jason. All right. So, I'm going to quote um, something that I believe I quoted in our first podcast together. Is just just do it. Just start reading the research. And that advice I got from Derek Miles on Clinical Athlete Forum, because um, it is like a pretty daunting task. You're just like, holy shit, like how do I break this down? I don't know what I'm reading. I don't understand. But it's if you can just take one study, right? And just read it. You don't even you don't even need to understand it, right? If you've never done it before, let's just go from that perspective. Just read it, <laughs> think about how you read it, and like think about what you think each thing meant. Make some notes, um, and then you know maybe maybe find a friend who's trying to do it too, and talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think just to get started, just read it, like start to understand what some of these things mean, and then obviously, um, you know, as a PT student, you get some of this research appraisal education in school. So I mean, I, I look back at my notes all the time, and I try to like make more sense of things. So always use all the the resources that you have. Um, mm-hmm. But in, instead of rambling any further, just just do it. Just start reading, and just get in the habit of doing it. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, you know, because you, you're you're just getting started, and what you said, uh, it's information paralysis almost in a sense, right? Uh, where there's just so much information, and there's just this huge amount and wealth of knowledge that you have to kind of parse through. So just getting started and picking something and rolling with it—that's awesome advice. Um, yeah. I also like what you said. I also like what you said too about uh, you know uh, talking with somebody about it. You know, either that whether you're doing like a, like a journal club or something or even just like, hey, I read this article. What are your thoughts? Um, it's a great way to because somebody might somebody else might be thinking about it a different way or approached it a different way. And that's a great way to, to learn. Yeah. And, and that's I, really good. advice. I do want to just add one other thing, too, is at any point, I don't think you need to feel like you're an expert in doing this because I don't think we're ever going to be experts in appraising research. Right. Because you're always trying to improve. Um, and that's a hard pill to swallow at first. And again, go, to go back to some of the advice Derek Miles and some of the other guys from Clinical Athlete um, kind of gave, it's just like if you just do it and kind of get in that habit, you're going to kind of be amazed with how much better you get over time. And I think looking back a year from now, I'm like, oh my goodness, like the, just the, the ability to read more and understand more, it, you know, you just get better with it. It's like fine wine, it gets better with age. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> good advice there Sam what are your thoughts uh, I think that that's a pretty bang on idea of how to go about it basically sort of similar to the podcast you guys did I don't know I don't think it was your last one but the one on non-zero days and basically sort of taking that same idea to reading research it's not necessarily that you have to be perfect at it but if you're just continually going at it and trying to have some effort put towards it and progressively just improving upon that, it's going to keep building over time. And that momentum is going to take you further and further. I know that when I first did it, I absolutely did a horrible job at it, reflecting back on the thoughts I had. But over time, as you just keep doing it, it's just like any other sort of skill or activity that you do. You need the reps done. That's sort of the same quote even from those guys is that 
it's it's brain wraps. It's it's that you just have to get it done, and then progressively you'll get better at it. So what you're saying <laughs> is that this is neuro rehab. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that most of us should keep in mind is, you know, just like any sort of other skill set that's out there, there are people that are professionals at just reading research. Like I don't know if you. If people don't know what Cochrane is, Cochrane is a company that purely just reviews stuff, and they don't hire like when they read physical therapy papers and they make reviews like Cochrane reviews of physical therapy stuff. Those aren't physical therapists reading that. Those are people called methodologists who purely critically appraise research for a living. And so, obviously, like we don't need to be to their level, but if we can at least get better at reading what the interpretation is, or get better at reading basic results or even just understanding methodology so that we can take the ability to interpret results better over time, it's going to allow us to have more ability to use the information that we read. And that's where, like, when we get into how to go about articles, you'll get better at those aspects, and that way you also waste less time reading articles. Mm-hmm. So just kind of as an aside, you you mentioned a Cochrane review, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of going along with that, what – what other types of research articles are there out there? Uh, there is a lot of different kind of research articles, but I guess at the most basic level, we have things that are uh, expert opinion or editorials, and you've got things like case controls and case series and case studies, which are more of uh, like patient cases, basically, or maybe there are uh, a series of different patient cases. Then we progress on to like observational studies. Then we have a progression towards like randomized control trials. And then we have systematic reviews, meta-analyses, Delphi reviews, um, different sort of review styles, which Cochrane Review would be sort of like a systematic review generally. Hmm. Um, okay. There are There's a lot more than you'd even imagine. <laughs> Jason? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would definitely agree. There's a lot more types of research that you could possibly imagine. So actually, uh, today, kind of looking through some of the stuff, I came across a really cool PowerPoint online, uh, courtesy of University of Oxford, that I'll share with you guys, and you could like put in the notes or whatever. Um, and it does a really good job of kind of breaking some of this stuff down into very, very simple uh, terminology, simple pictures, so you can kind of understand what each study does, um, what they're looking for, kind of what it focuses on. Um, and kind of how everything is structured. So I found this really helpful. So I think if anyone uh, wants to read a little bit further into specifics of different types of studies um, and kind of, you know, get into like levels of evidence and all that stuff, this is a cool little uh, PowerPoint. Oh, that's great. No, Yeah, dude, that's awesome. But from a very, I guess like to simplify it and maybe even oversimplify it a little bit, um, in general, we would put like anecdotal evidence and maybe um, like case studies, uh, like more toward the bottom of like less, less strongly or less robust, robust evidence. Whereas like these Cochrane reviews, systematic analyses, would tend to be a little bit higher on the spectrum of uh, because they've analyzed multiple studies versus just one, and it, it's not necessarily a true consensus, but it's it shows more of a trend of what you know a larger chunk of literature says yeah would that be accurate i think that uh like if jason's cool i'll jump in here what you're kind of describing is called level of evidence and 
that's where we do have some unfortunate deviation from maybe what we wish is accurate. Like level of evidence is uh, not consistent across the board, but basically generally like where they'll categorize something like a randomized control trial or a systematic review is like level one evidence, whereas something like uh, case series or expert opinion might be like level four. So it's, it's considered lower on the level of how we should take that information. And so it's sort of fitting to what you just described. But the problem is that just because something is higher level of evidence or just because something is lower, higher level of evidence, it doesn't dictate the quality. That's where we fall into some um, unfortunate traps where, you know, like we can have something that could be a double-blinded randomized control trial, but the, the, ex or the people running the study ask a shitty question and then they use really poor methodology and it's interpreted by the individuals in an invalid format, but because it's a level or it's a randomized control trial with a double blind, it comes out as being level one. In contrast, something like when they found penicillin, that was done in a study that would be to today's standards classified as like level four. But, you know, uh, obviously it had huge impact. Mm -hmm. So while level of evidence is definitely like something for people to consider, especially when they're early on, they don't know maybe as much information about how to appraise it, it definitely is not a perfect system. Okay. So even though that we're, we're going through these, we're, you know, we're kind of trying to tier all the different types of evidence that's out there, uh, we need to make sure that there are still biases within that whole realm of tiering. Uh, and that's something that we need to take into consideration when looking at the literature. Yeah. So again, just another aside with uh, my experiences in PT school as a first, second, and even third year student. Uh, so when you're doing research projects on pub and like I'm going through PubMed, I, I shouldn't just click, you know, systematic review or like isolate a specific type of um, of like research study. Uh, I guess my answer to that would be that it depends upon whether you're doing this for a school assignment or for personal learning. Because hmm. I know that okay. at least in my school, like the, the information I just told you, they don't believe in that. And so then, like if I'd used a case study or something in, in a paper that I wrote, I'd probably be given some sort, like even if I thought it was a legitimately well done paper, they probably wouldn't care and they think that it wouldn't be appropriate to put in. Hmm. So, uh, again, yeah, I think it just depends on the context. Okay. Because I feel like in school, a lot of times you're, kind of encouraged to find systematic reviews or meta-analyses uh, or randomized controlled trials and to stay away from like case studies. And um, even though I know that in some of the research studies that were done through our school, oftentimes there isn't necessarily a research base for that particular like area of, of like uh, inquiry. And so some groups and some students would often have to resort to case studies and, um, and kind of anecdotal evidence versus you know, systematic reviews and whatnot. So I guess it goes back to that age old uh, PT school answer of it depends. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's like a pretty good point. I actually just had a thought. So I want to talk about one slide in this little PowerPoint that uh, it kind of blew my mind this morning. Mm -hmm. So I hope when you guys see it, it does the same for you. Um, so, and I can see why, uh, based on Jake, what you just said about you being kind of um, in PT school, they try to focus on, try to find a systematic review or an RCT. 
Um, and I think this is why I have a thought. I could be wrong, so feel free to jump in. So on this slide right here, it talks about um, four types of research questions, right? So the first is to determine a problem. The second type of question finds potential causes to that problem. The third question looks at interventions for the problem. And the fourth uh, question looks at ways to implement activities and draw big conclusions. And I think in PT school, uh, you know, we're trying to learn interventions and how to draw conclusions to make them relevant. And the types of studies that do that are meta-analyses, systematic reviews, and randomized controlled trials. Uh, Whereas, right, makes, so they're, they're trying to get you, right, they're teaching you all these interventions and they're teaching you these general statements to apply. So those are the types of studies that do that, which is fine. But now if you want to look on the other end where you're trying to determine a problem or find a cause to that problem, that's when you want to look for case reports, case studies, case series, cross-sectional studies, prospective studies, mm -hmm. and those kind of give you the questions, what could be the cause to this problem, what, what even is the problem? So it's, it's those studies that even though they're a little bit lower on that level, they're still really valid because they help you find a potential problem and find potential causes to that problem. Yeah. I think I've got one thing to build off of that. Like that is a perfect explanation of it, Jason. And then have you guys ever heard of the term tooth fairy science? No. So let's say, so I'll give the example of how it's usually described. It, came, it comes from this, uh, this MD, Harriet Hall. And uh, so how it's kind of described is, you know, I can make a randomized control trial to study the effects of the tooth fairy and I can give you the results, and I can give you the, the interpretation of those results, and hell, I can make a systematic review out of it. It wouldn't mean anything, though, because I haven't proven that the tooth fairy exists. And so I'm kind of skipping those first two questions that you just described and going to questions three and four. I think that's where, unfortunately, a lot of physical therapy has kind of like jumped that gun and has now accelerated past some of those foundational questions that build for you to then uh, continuing having good success with. Like you look at a simple thing, I know in my cohort, we all generally did some sort of like systematic review for our capstone. And I know, for instance, like one group wanted to do it on trigger points and they wanted to do it trigger points and dry needling. And now the only problem is that like trigger points are not something that we have a definitive ability to define or have any sort of like real strong answers on in the first two parts of those questions. But we have all of this research in the third and fourth parts. Hmm. And so that's where that, that term like sort of comes in. And that's where like a lot of criticism has come into, I guess, like physical therapy, but also the medical profession in general, is that a lot of times we kind of skip the first two steps and go right, right into interventions and these other things, instead of actually like finding valid information on those things first. Which makes sense because it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Just like you mentioned, a lot of those kind of nebulous concepts that we see all the time, mobility, trigger points, um, therapeutic exercise, uh, manual therapy, um, there, there probably isn't that, that time spent on like figuring out what it is or what, you know, what's the, the problem. Mm -hmm. And just like you're saying, we're, we're doing all these things for interventions, but we haven't even established what you know, a trigger point is, or what manual therapy does, or what is manual therapy, or what is therapeutic exercise. Mm -hmm. But yet, all the articles we get presented in school are 
is manual therapy better alone or combined with therapeutic exercise? And so you're getting presented with those, you know, like higher level questions mm-hmm. with like a very poor foundation. And then you go out in clinic and I feel like you just get confused because you're trying to find more and more of these systematic reviews that maybe aren't built on a stronger foundation. Mm-hmm. You lit that off, Jake. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still, just, I'm still processing. My mind's kind of like <laughs> blown for it. It's just weird because, you know, at this point, up until this point, I've never really thought about stuff like that. And now, like, as we're all kind of talking and these things, these, like, informational juices are flowing in my brain and probably somewhere in my fourth ventricle. <laughs> um it's just weird because once you start thinking about how you think or thinking about how you approach things and then you go, well, wait, I don't really have a good foundation and I'm studying and trying to figure out all these things that aren't really well-defined. Like, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy because, like, I start working on Tuesday and I have to go be a physical therapist and treat people and, you know, be evidence-based but yet here I am questioning, you know, evidence that's been given to me in school. And even if I even, I don't even know how to read it well. You know what I mean? Not that I don't know how to read it, but <laughs> it's just, it's that feeling of like, wow, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I knew. Yeah. And I think, I, th- I don't know if we talked about this in the last podcast. I know Jason and I have talked about this, but it's about embracing uncertainty and it's something that we have to do in all medical professions. Like we don't know as much as we'd like to know, like our actual structured knowledge set is not that strong, but we have a lot of things that we believe and that's okay. Like we don't need to know everything as long as we're careful and considerate of the things that we do and just try to use the current evidence that we do have to the best of our abilities Especially like in physical therapy, we're very lucky that most of what we do is unlikely to do a significant amount of damage if you do the wrong thing. Yes. Like we're not surgeons. We're, we're, we're pretty lucky in that regards because if we, in contrast, you know, we're cutting people open blatantly wrong, like that would have some serious um, repercussions. So it's understandable. And like I'm sure all of us have those same exact feelings. And there's probably a lot of students that are going to be able to have or uh, relate to what you just said. And, you know, for a lot of them, it's like, you just have to go out into the clinic and be comfortable with that. You're not going to have all the answers. And honestly, being open with your patients about that, like, it's not saying I don't have any idea, but it's here's what I currently have for information. I'm up to, you know, I'm giving you the most valid and correct stuff that we can. I just can't say that that is the most, like, it's definitive. Like, I don't ever tell a patient, you have pain because of this. You know, you could have pain for a lot of reasons. This might be a contributing factor, so we're going to check this out. I guess that's why they call it clinical practice. <laughs> that's a shout out to a previous podcast too, where we had a, another mind explosion with clinical practice. Yeah. What up, Doctor Mike? <laughs> oh man. Oh, so, uh, Mike, where, where are we? Where are we on where we're supposed to be? 
Well, it's, I mean, we talk, we talk a lot. And, uh, yeah, we've got a, we've gone some, done some pretty good rabbit holes and then we're kind of working through. So why don't we actually go into uh, breaking down some articles here? So uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. So what steps do you guys go through when you're analyzing an article? Let's start with Sam first. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, we're, we're, we're dishing it over to me. That's cool. Um, okay. So this is, so I'm a very, I mean, I don't, I'm a very old school person. I like to print them out, even though a lot of the times I, I do just read them online. Um, but if you're somebody who likes to take handwritten notes in class, I would highly recommend printing the article out. It's going to be super helpful. Um, so basically when I decide I want to break down an article and I'm going to talk about, um, well, I guess it's not going to matter because I'm going to bounce it back to Sam at some point. But primarily for a randomized control trial because it gets a little bit different because when you get into like results um, and how results are presented, sl it's going to be slightly different when you go into different types of studies. But I call it my big three. Mm -hmm. So here my three steps that I, I do for every article. The first is I read the title and then I don't read the abstract um, because I don't want to be – I don't want to have any preconceived notions that this article is going to tell me something based on the 400 word abstract. Maybe the abstract is like 100% spot on and maybe it's not. But I think that if I just read what the title says, I skip the abstract and then I go right into the background in the introduction. That is one thing that for me has been super helpful because I just get right into it and you start reading and it's like, I don't really care what the 400 words you guys typed up at the beginning set. Um, because at that point it could be, could be, I'm not saying it is, could be some type of speculation or there could be some kind of conclusion drawn that we're not 100% sure actually was stated anywhere in the article. So the second thing that I do is I jump right into the background information in the methods and getting into the methods, I want to go through that with a fine tooth comb. And again, just like another plug for clinical athlete. Uh, Derek Miles always would say, like, the devil is in the details in the methods or something along that. I'm probably going to misquote him. Um, but you want to go through the methods, like, like two or three times, especially if you're not sure with what you're doing. When you're reading the methods, like, you want to look, are they defining the terms that they're talking about? Like, are they giving you a clear definition? They're going to cite previous research, all that. Are they going to talk about the outcome? You want to make sure they're talking about the outcome measures that they're using. Um, if it's uh, an intervention study, right? So if it's an RCT and they're talking about any, any type of intervention, are they defining the parameters that they use? So if it's exercise, do they give you the sets, the reps, the rest periods, the intensity, the, any other thing that comes along with that? And then the question I ask myself there is, can I reproduce this, uh, this intervention or whatever it is exactly the way they did, whether it's exercise, whether it's manual therapy, whether it's whatever, because that, that's how you want to know if they defined um, what they did really well. And then my number three for the big three um, is I go right into the results table. Um, I do read the results written, but I like looking at just the raw data, like, right, like, because the, the, the numbers don't lie. So, you know, depending on the study, and again, this is going to be where it's slightly different if you're reading a systematic review or an RCT or some type of observational study. Um, but once you get into that results table, you're going to get into kind of your p-values and your confidence intervals and all that, and you can just manually check, okay, this is group one versus two, and then they're going to give you all the data, and then you just read the numbers and interpret them. And then at that point, you know exactly what should be in the, the conclusion in the discussion because you've already read it in the table. And 
if it's if you skip that part and you just go to the discussion and they start talking about oh yeah well we we found that this this is the this is a great treatment for x y and z but you know that in the results table it didn't say that <laughs> you know what i mean so if you're not like the numbers don't lie i think that like whatever you do in anything right Ooh. numbers don't lie so i go to the table uh i'm going to turn it over to sam before we get too into this but that's my big three uh <laughs> skip the abstract uh read the methods of the fine tooth comb and then raw data in the numbers numbers don't lie wow that was really good jason um i'm not gonna throw a ton of different stuff at you i will uh, start off with a completely opposite perspective in one regards. I like it. I actually always read the abstract. <laughs> um, but that's for, I guess, a couple of reasons. One is on an average day that I'm going to read any research, like I'm trying to decide what papers I have any interest in reading because mm -hmm. I, I try to sit down and read some research almost every day. And if the abstract doesn't even sound like relevant, like obviously the title is very important. And if the title is like bang on, then I don't need to read the abstract, but obviously like I can't necessarily know everything from just the title. So for me, at least I almost always read the abstract, um, but I'm not going to take anything at face value of what they say. So let, if I, if I do go ahead and read the paper, the first thing I do, just like Jason is I jump straight to the methodology. Like I skip the introduction, don't care what it says right methodology that way i can interpret myself like how how much value will i even place in the results if the methodology is good enough to continue on which most of the time it's at least like something i'm going to keep reading but i'm going to have you know things that i keep in mind about it then i'll go to the results i don't actually generally read the words that are written for the results myself i know at first i did because i didn't necessarily have the skill set to interpret and read results myself but generally, like if the raw data is there, I'll read that and check that out, look at the tables as much as I can. And then I might like look over some of the results, especially if there's certain information that isn't going to be on a table. And then I'm going to go to the discussion to then, you know, s compare what my thoughts are to what they put. Because especially after you start getting better at reading research, you're going to see that a lot of times, obviously, the people who write these papers, they're well-intended but they might not be as truthful or as careful with their words as maybe they should be. They might use certain words that allow them, like maybe instead of saying statistical significance, they'll just say it was significant. And while it's not necessarily an accurate statement, it's not not accurate. Mm -hmm. So that's where I completely agree with like Jason's format. And that's, I think, the perfect way to go about it. Mm -hmm. So even though you guys come from two separate like ways of, of reading the research, I mean, you have some similarities too. Uh, I think what, what you guys are both saying is it's important to have a process or a system when you're looking through. Uh, so every time that you're looking through an article, you're, you're going about it a similar way. Um, so that way you're not thinking about, um, okay, I'm going to read this next. I'm going to do this one. I'm going to do that. Uh, it's already ingrained and you can actually interpret the data rather than trying to figure out like what's going on with the article at first. I also really like the um, the emphasis on the methods and the in the the raw data, because I know especially in our research class with Dr. Fergus Mike, um, I know she purposefully would make us read articles where they made claims about statistical significance, and there was no numbers in the raw data that showed significance, or like what you mentioned, Sam, in the results section they would talk about oh yeah you, you know this 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 and ha and this happened. 
But if you go back to the data, none of that happened, or at least it didn't happen in the way that they're saying that it happened. Exactly. And so like, yes, <clears throat> when you're submitting research articles, like, you know, it's a very intensive process. There's a lot of editing, but you know, at the same time, we're all humans. Mm -hmm. And just because you're a researcher doesn't mean that you're not trying <clears throat> subconsciously to, to confirm your own biases or, you know, maybe you made an honest mistake and it just wasn't caught. And so, you know, we're, we're not perfect. Things, things happen, but it's really important to make sure that you look at that raw data because that's, that's what, you know, as Jason said, it's, the data doesn't lie. And, and I know going back to first and second year me, I would just read the introduction and the abstract and the conclusion and be like, boom, good yeah. to go. <laughs> and Jake, that's a good point, and I think it ties back to something you guys talked about in in the uh, in like the earlier episodes where it's like, well, that's how the past you did it because when you were the present you, right? So when you're first year, Jake, and you're you're kind of walking into PT school and you know evidence based practice EDP is like the buzzword that's floating around. And you don't really have much, you don't really know much prior to that. You're just like, oh, yeah, I'll you know, sign in the PubMed. Like, cool, I've never done this before, like, whatever. And that's kind of what you think it is. But it's not until you kind of think about another way of doing it and you think about what your future self could benefit from by actually taking the time to read through the whole article is when you really are setting your future self up for success. <clears throat> I like that. <laughs> and I, I think part of that too is is just that process of, of growing, you know, as academically, as a clinician, as as a human being, you know, person. Um, when you looking back on past me, I didn't really know the difference between ordinal and you know, or continuous data points, or you know, different types of like correlation measurements, or you know, finding p values. I, I, didn't, I didn't really know what any of that stuff was. So I just avoided it because I didn't understand it. I didn't just do, you know, the just do it method. I just skipped it because I was like, oh, that, that's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I don't need that. What's well, important is the conclusion that, they're, that they draw. But you know, now that I've grown and have, like, learned a lot more things, I've had some experience reading research. Um, still not, very much not an expert. Still, still a newbie. Um, but... You know, even just with those couple years of, of practice and education, like my mindset and my um, the way that I go about it, the process and the understanding of it is completely different than, you know, two years ago, three years Definitely. ago. Definitely. And I think that's important, too. Like, we're not experts at doing this. Like, we're not trying to be. It's just it's a part of the process. Like, we've started – you start reading. You start reflecting. You start – you know, we we talk with each other. Like, we've – we've talked on this podcast, we've, we've, you know, we've messaged on clinical athlete and we've talked in threads on that. And you kind of, kind of refine your stuff and you get, you know, you get input from other people and you learn that way. And that's how you grow. Like you're talking about. So do you guys have any, uh, <laughs> do you guys have any uh, like places that you specifically look for research? I know we talked a lot about, uh, you know, the different, the importance of research and all this kind of stuff and even your, your methods and how you kind of analyze things. But do, where do you go? Is it as simple as PubMed or do you look at different research databases? What do you guys do? Let's, uh, let's have Sam start this one. Sure. Uh, so again, <clears throat> I'm going to give a show to clinical athlete. 
Uh, I don't, I won't say that every time I go to clinical athlete first, but there's definitely a huge proportion of the information that I've learned through research from clinical athlete, whether it be just the papers that I've chosen to read or the way that I've learned to read papers or just the general discussions around those papers. It's been like incredibly foundational in that regards. Um, and then another good resource I mentioned Eric Mara before. So there's Eric Mara and J.W. Matheson run a podcast. So uh, hopefully it's okay to shout out another podcast on your podcast. Yeah, but yeah. uh, it's called PT Inquest. And basically it's just like a journal club. Those two guys are incredibly smart. And they just chew apart research for like half an hour to an hour. And uh, sometimes they have other guests on. But basically they're two incredibly smart guys. And... Uh, I think they do like 12 episodes in a row, take a couple weeks break, do 12 episodes in a row. So it's uh, pretty regular and it's got like well over 100 episodes now. So people can go back. And uh, something that I've done is I've just looked at, looked at the papers that they chose to appraise in the episode. Then I've, I've gone and read those papers and then I listened to the episode afterwards. And so it gives me a really good way of being able to get feedback on what I can take away from the paper in comparison to what they take away from the paper. Mm -hmm. um, outside of that, like one thing that I do on a weekly basis is I've got like a series of different journals that I have bookmarked in my browser. And I'd say that for the average person, like this is something I got from those exact guys is like they picked four journals that they like are really relevant to their profession, like the way that they practice. I know that a lot of times they recommend something like uh, International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy, JOSPT, um, and then like at least one thing that's not very like specifically physical therapy, so maybe like JAMA or arthroscopy. And so you have like four different journals, and every week basically just click on the newest edition and then scroll through it. And if you at least do one per week, you're going to get – because your average month has four weeks, you get through all four per month. And so you're going to be able to read the latest edition of each um, journal per month. And even you just go and scroll through and read the abstracts, like I know, uh, <laughs> other than <laughs> Jason, I do read the abstracts. <laughs> but at least it gives you like insight into maybe which papers you want to look at. I know for myself, like once a week I'll sit down, I can scroll through a journal and just like looking over the abstracts, I can look through an entire edition in like five to 10 minutes. And then from there, I'll usually pick up like th somewhere between like two to three papers that I want to then read. And I'll use my school access to get that. So um, that's a pretty solid thing to do. And honestly, that takes me like an hour's worth of time per week. Hmm. And that's, that's, uh, that's usually what I would do as a minimum myself. And I would really recommend a lot of people to give a shot at. I really like that, uh, you know, just picking, like you said, four different journals, and then it doesn't seem like it's a huge time commitment, but it's enough to 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 get the information that you need and, and get better at at the, the craft of of research. So that's that's cool. That's really great advice. What do you do, Jason? Kind of. Oh, I was gonna say. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to let Jason go first because he may he may bring this point up. Um, yeah, sure. So, Sam, I really actually like what you said. Um, a couple of things, just to, just to recap. Well, when you were talking about clinical athlete, um, 
the discussion that happens around the articles that are presented on clinical athlete i agree with you like a thousand percent that it was it wasn't necessarily the articles that we were reading but it was the discussion that kind of helped to facilitate your process of how you were going to go through research was incredibly helpful Um, and then obviously the articles were awesome too, but especially kind of starting off, you have really no idea what to do. That that was incredibly helpful. Um, and then I really liked what you said about kind of looking at some journals that are outside of your profession. Um, so not just reading articles from JOSPT all the time. I thought that was really cool. And that's something that I try to do is read or find stuff from uh, a bunch of different journals. Um, but a couple of things that I like to do, um, Strangely enough, anytime I come across, like, people love to post abstracts on social media, right? Um, So on Facebook and Instagram, you can just save posts. So if I, like, see something, oh, this looks cool, I actually will just hit save, um, and it kind of automatically links it to, like, my either Instagram or Facebook library. And then when I'm like, oh, I need to read an article today or I want to read something, I just will go to that save thing. And there's just, like, a compiled, uh, like, little network or however you want to call it, just, like, a database of research that I at one point my past self thought was interesting at one point and I made a decision (laughs) for my future self so then when I have the time and I'm like "Ooh, it's time to read my present self can then go and find that research to read it um so that's definitely one of the big things that I do obviously we talked about clinical athlete and then another cool thing that um I found out from Zach Gabor I'm not sure how many of you guys uh, know him I know Sam you definitely know him um, do you guys know Zach, Jake, and Mike? Yeah, so he's all awesome. of him. Um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I've heard the name, but yeah, I don't know. So he actually <laughs> told me about this thing called evidence in your inbox. So I'm not sure if you guys have heard about that either. Um, but what it is is you give whatever this company your email, and they probably sell like your email and all your data to a bunch of people online because that's just how the internet (laughs) works. But what it does is that you can kind of go through and it allows you to pick um, certain topics. So whether it's like sports rehab, whether it's orthopedics, whether it's exercise, whether it's, um, you know, maybe they have like an acute care section. And every month what they do is they send you the new uh, research articles in the topics that you subscribe to. And they send it to your email, hence evidence in your inbox. So it's really cool service. Um, so that could be something to check into. It's free. You don't have to pay for it. Um, so that could that could be something cool for people to check into. I found it helpful. Yeah. That's great. Uh, you got so the thing I was going to mention. Me, but I just wanted to clarify, Jason. Is uh, evidence in your inbox, is that from Pedro? Um, it might be, honestly. I, I don't actually know who. Uh, I'm going to Google it right now. I just remember it was called evidence in your yeah. inbox. It very well could be from Pedro. I think so. For anyone that doesn't know, uh, I'm pretty sure that it's the same thing, and it's it's called Physiotherapy Evidence Database, and so it's not like one of those companies that sell your email address. <laughs> but uh, sorry, it's actually like it's it's pretty legit, and people should definitely sign up for that. Yeah, I'm, I wish I didn't fail to mention it's that Pedro, one. Pedro, you're right, Sam. Yeah. It's super helpful. People should for sure yeah. sign up for that. So that's a yeah, that's a great way that the anybody that's interested could just get information, uh, like you said, right to their inbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one one thing that I, I would mention too, just because I know Sam, Jason, and I have taken the course is uh, 
if you've taken the scientific principles of sports rehab course that Derek and uh, and Michael do, their uh, <clears throat> PowerPoint PDF that they give you has like what two yeah. three hundred articles in it that relate to all those topics. And when I I was talking with them about you know what are some good research articles that I should start reading or like what are topics I need to read, they're like just. Just go to the references section and just start yeah. at number one and go all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> so anytime uh, you've got like a, a course like that or, um, you know, sometimes even if you're reading articles that are mentioning other papers and that, you know, keep popping up, like you keep seeing like number 15 mm -hmm. after like every couple sentences, you know, that might be an indication that, hey, maybe I should check out some of these other articles that they're referencing and, and see what, you know, what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's definitely some good points there. A really good idea to do what you just said. Oh, that leads us into anything. <laughs> <laughs> what, just just reading things that are being cited <laughs> often in other research articles? Yeah. I have a, I have a question um, about your guys' opinion, too. Like, if you're reading a systematic review, kind of going along with what we're talking about, let's say you're reading a systematic review, do you, do you go through line by line, see where the references are, go to that article, read that article, and then kind of like work your way through? Or, or do you kind of just like get the general information as you're going and then, as Jake had said, you know, like you see 15 go a bunch of times, then you go back and read that one? Uh, I'm just kind of curious like what your thoughts are. Um, I guess for myself, like I look at uh, whichever, generally if I'm reading through the systematic review and there's a certain area that I like want to learn more about, I'm going to look at whatever is referenced for that area, and then I'm going to go and read that paper specifically. So if it is reference 7, then I'll go check out reference 7 and download that and read that. Um, or if I happen to read multiple papers and see, like even in a randomized control trial, they're going to reference other papers. If I see the same pa paper popping up multiple times, then I'm going to go and read that for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, Mike, that, that was a good question. So I actually... Gotcha. Um, so I guess the first thing, it would kind of depend how many um, st studies were in the systematic review because, you know, some are a little bit smaller. They have like four or five, and some are pretty huge. Uh, you know, they could have 17, 18, 20 some odd studies, which would definitely be super time-consuming, which maybe we could kind of have a spinoff there and say that's, a, um, you know, it's, it's I don't want to say a flaw because I don't think that's the right word. Um, but it's something about systematic reviews where it's it's really hard because they're just making kind of blanket statements on a huge amount of studies. But to kind of go back to your original question is I've tried to do it once on Clinical Athlete. Um, I was talking with Mike Amato. We had a thread going, and we were going to pull the – it was five studies. It was like a shoulder article. And I remember you start, you get one, and then I know Mike probably did it, so like kudos to him. I didn't finish going through all five just because, you know, school happened. But it's definitely something you could do for a smaller systematic review. I would, I would say it's definitely plausible. <laughs> okay. I was just kind of curious what you guys' thoughts were. Um, it definitely seems like it could, be, could become time-consuming, like you said, if there was a lot of articles, like 15 to 20 or even more. Yeah, Sam. Okay. Mm -hmm. I kind of um, just want to get one, Sam's. Oh, sorry, I was, that was that was really choppy. I apologize. Um, <laughs> I kind of just wanted to know, like Sam's opinion on that. What do you think about? Because I know we were kind of talking about like the levels of evidence, and just because it's higher or lower doesn't necessarily mean it's good or bad. Like, what do you think about that? If it's like a twenty-five 
RCT, systematic review. Uh, I don't think I understood your question. Say that again. It was a... Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, it's like a, it's kind of like a weird, like thought-provoking question. So Mike had kind of, he had asked, uh -huh. do you go about pulling all the RCTs in a systematic review and then reading those? Mm -hmm. So I said that's definitely like pretty plausible if it's a smaller systematic review. Oh. But let's say mm -hmm. you read a systematic review that had like upwards of 25 plus RCTs in it. So like 25 of the studies. How, how plausible mm -hmm. is it to pull all 25 of those to then dissect out all 25 <laughs> just to get the results for that systematic review? Maybe, maybe, you know what I mean? Does it increase the chances that maybe some blanket statements were made and conclusions were drawn? I don't know. It's just kind of a thought provoking question. I, I want to know what you thought. No, I think absolutely. Like, uh, it's going to be pretty rare that you're going to find like a systematic review. That's not going to have something like mm -hmm. that occur. Um, but then, yeah, if you go through, you're going to find errors for sure. Like, no researcher is perfect. And um, the chances, though, that you're going to notice those things after reading 25 papers might be kind of hard. Uh, especially because, like, when they do a systematic review, they're going to choose from each paper what aspects they want to keep together with mm -hmm. it. But they might ignore certain aspects because maybe that specific paper was flawed in some sort of methodology. Um, yeah, no, like, that That would be pretty hard yeah. to do. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it could be fun. I don't know what some people's opinion on fun is. Um, but that would, yeah, I think the, the problem with that is that generally, um, like, in order to read those papers and then condense all that information, like, you're, you're bound to choose selective information in different aspects. Mm -hmm. And, like, maybe you and the uh, people that did the, the systematic review are going to differ on how much value you place in certain parts of different papers. And so then you're not going to come to the same results. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, there's this thing called the NICE guidelines for nonspecific low back pain. Have you guys ever seen that? It's, it's spelled like NICE. Um, Nice is a place in France. I think that's where that's from. Yeah. Oh no, that's actually that's actually incorrect. It's from the uh, National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. Um, but it was like a giant conference that was held in regards to non-specific low back pain. And uh, Adam Meekins like posted a picture from after attending it on like the guidelines that came out. And then afterwards, people were comparing the results that came out. Except I think this was in. 2016 that they did this and so it was basically like the guidelines from england on um how they wanted to treat chronic non-specific low back pain and then in comparison like the u.s has the same thing and then also canada has the same thing and so people were comparing the different um like results basically because in essence these are just really big systematic reviews and uh they were comparing the results between these three different countries and while pretty much all three countries used almost the exact same papers, they came out with fairly different um, wow. results in regards to like their recommendations on different interventions. No way. So while we could all we could all read the same papers, we're not going to wow. come out with the same um, statements after them. That's pretty fascinating. Holy cow! Holy no. cow! <laughs> I don't know. Have you guys ever seen that? No. 
I've yeah, not I'll try seen to find that. that, and I'll send it to you guys. Yeah, we can we can link it for anybody that's interested in like reading about that or hearing about that more. That's just mind blowing. That of all the same articles that were used, you yeah. know, different conclusions were pulled from it, and it kind of just goes to show you that we all carry a certain level of bias, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty wild. So on the topic of interpretation, um, I know there are some subscription services out there. Like I know Greg Knuckles does one where him and his people will like read all the you know recent articles on squatting or deadlifting or whatever it is, and then they'll do <clears throat> kind of like article breakdowns. What are your guys' thoughts on like subscribing to a service like that? Uh, go ahead, Jason. Um, so I think it's kind of a cool concept. Uh, the th- I think the thing with that is you would really want to make sure you trust the people that are reviewing those articles, if that's a route you want to take, because, uh, and I'm not super familiar with the format of a lot of these, um, but if people are drawing conclusions that aren't necessarily from the data, you could run into a little bit of an issue. However, I don't think that anybody kind of doing that has any, you know, malicious intention to take some study and, you know, kind of not be truthful about it. But again, that could just be me being super optimistic. I think it's a good concept. Uh, I am not subscribed to any currently. And uh, I, am not, I, I might subscribe to something in the future if I think it becomes a good opportunity. But right now, it's not something that I'm doing. Um, pros and cons, just like anything. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with Jason. Uh, I think that there's a lot of value in reading the research yourself. I understand that for your average clinician, uh, especially, you know, you're practicing, maybe you own the clinic, you have a family and you have all these other things that are then on your time schedule. So, you know, sitting down and reading, uh, you know, I recommend an hour a week for some people, they might feel that's too stressful. And so, you know, having time to read 30 minutes instead, because someone else condenses the research for you, I can see definitely where that value comes in. But obviously, just like Jason said, there's gonna be some bias that comes in, it's gonna be difficult for a lot of people. Uh, especially it, it's going to heavily depend upon how well do those people then appraise that evidence. And uh, there's definitely some services that are coming out. We're going to know that uh, mass is incredible. Uh, I've read a couple of their issues. Greg Knuckles is an incredibly smart guy. And so are the other guys. Eric Helms is great. Mike Zordos. And they've had a couple of guest contributions. I know like Derek Miles wrote one for them. Um, and then uh, not to, I don't know how much information I can release on this, but there is uh, something coming from clinical athlete in this regards. So keep your eyeballs peeled for that. I will definitely keep my eyeballs peeled. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's such an interesting phrase. (laughs) <laughs> like what I, I don't even understand like it gives me this, such like a terrible visual in my head and i'm just like i'm like wondering how that improves your vision like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> all, all i can think about is the uh prince oberon fight oh. in game of thrones <laughs> that still gives me nightmares <laughs> yeah on that note <laughs> I think I think we're running up uh, to the end of our show here. 
And I know there's one question that we always ask our guests on our show. And you guys have been fortunate enough. Um, and we're very lucky that, that you guys have come on to our show. And, you, you know, our guests have heard this before. But just in case you guys have anything different, uh, based on all of your previous experiences and knowledge in life, love, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this show uh, to help them be the best versions of themselves? Wow. <laughs> I remember that was a hard yeah, question yeah. the first time you asked me. Jason, I'll, I'll let you take the head start on this guy. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Damn. Big, big, shoe, big shoes to step into here because I know there's been some great answers from some of the guests in the past. Um, wow. One thing. Okay. I'm going to just say... Wow, I can't believe I think this hard about this. I would say, honestly, like, whatever you're doing, like, whatever your journey is in life, like, find what you love and do it. And if you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Because I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I think, like, I can't really picture myself living a life where I don't wake up and do what I absolutely love doing every day and, and really enjoy every day. Um, so I think that's just super huge. Like, if, if you're in a rut and we're all going to get in ruts and – find what you love keep looking if you haven't found it and just really make sure you're loving what you're doing every single day hmm. well jason you absolutely stole the one i was oh, going to go with yeah. <laughs> i should have put you on no, I think I'll just build off that. Like, at the end of the day, if you don't enjoy what you're going to do, you're going to struggle at doing it. It's not going to be – if you have to force yourself to do something, it's going to mm -hmm. continuously drag you down. So try to find at least whatever it is, whether it is your profession or at least some sort of hobby that it does drive you forward and that you love to do. Find something and hold on to it. That's great advice, guys. I don't know. You can't, you can't see it. Yeah. Uh, I know we've mentioned this a couple of times, but I have the biggest smile <laughs> on my face right now. <laughs> the biggest warm and fuzzies as always. So we really appreciate you guys, you know, opening up and giving some advice here. And thank you again, guys, for coming on and talking, yeah. talking research with us too. Um, I think this has been yeah. really valuable and eye opening in, in a lot of different regards. It has been Mike very, very much so. And I think that, uh, Present me is very happy to have had this conversation with you because past me in the first and second year of PT school had no idea what he was doing. And so it's nice to, nice to continually grow and learn and, and see how other people appraise research or approach research uh, to kind of like fine tune my own skills and find a process mm -hmm. that works for me. So thank you guys for dropping some knowledge yeah. bombs. No, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks yeah. for having us, and I like I like that we can kind of keep it kind of light too, because I know sometimes research can be kind of uh, you know it's kind of like a daunting like uh, like you're reading and you're this, and that's kind of how it comes off in school. But you know we keep it fun, we keep it light, and, and that's kind of how you know mm -hmm. that's kind of how I operate, and it's always fun. So yeah, I know Sam has been holding that Oregon Trail <laughs> reference that he dropped on the first first sentence for what like two pretty, months pretty now, much. probably. <laughs> 
Uh, so Sam, Jason, <laughs> we can't thank you guys enough for coming on to our show. If anybody listening to our show wants to get in contact with you guys, what's the best way that they can do that? And we'll have uh, Jason go first. Um, so yeah, so people can find me uh, online. I'm on Instagram at Prime Physio Fitness. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can send me a friend request, Jason LePage or Jay LePage. I actually don't remember what my Facebook name is because I've changed it a couple of times. <laughs> um, you can shoot me an email, uh, primephysiofitness at gmail.com. Uh, if that works for you, I would I would say my preferred is probably Instagram. DM, super easy, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Awesome. Uh, yeah, people can find me on the same things. You know, I've got the Strength Therapist on Instagram, uh, Strength Physio on Twitter, you send me something on Twitter, I'll probably never find it. Uh, on Facebook, you can either send a message to the strength therapist or you can friend request me, Sam Spinelli. And then uh, you send an email at the strength therapist at gmail.com. Or if you're really gung ho, you can uh, send me a text message. My phone number is 774 641 1071. I've definitely had some people reach out to me before, other PT students, other PTs. We can call, we can chat, whatever you feel like. Right on. Man, that's like when Mike Jones put his phone number on that one song. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> oh, man. That was a great reference. 281 I was going to completely butcher that. <laughs> I just remember the song. <laughs> that's perfect. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> what a great pop culture reference to end on. <laughs> Back then, they didn't want me. Now I'm hot. They all on me. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in this week, where we spoke to Sam Spinelli, the strength therapist, and Jason LePage of Prime Physio Fitness. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. And Mike, for all of those listeners out there who were in, interested in reading more research, don't we have a little special thing coming up? Oh, we do. We do. Yeah. I think that's going to be called our 28-day article challenge. And Mike, myself, Jason, and Sam uh, will all be writing um, little synopses or reviews of an article every day. And mm -hmm. we'll also be challenging students and clinicians out there to join us by reading an article every day. So we're, we're going to kind of get our feet wet, but we're also going to just do it, as Jason LePage would say, and uh, <laughs> jump in head first to, to get some more experience reading articles. That's right. And it'll be all those articles will be available for you to download on our website as it's been released. Uh, and that is coming in January, so you have a chance to kind of look through stuff there. Um, and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, so we're really excited to, to bring this challenge to you guys, and we hope that you participate with us and kind of follow along through our website, through our podcast, and through our Instagram pages. So awesome. thanks again for listening, guys. You guys have a, have a great day and or night. And, <laughs> we'll uh, see you next time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.